Colossians 2, and we're looking at verses 1 through 10. And before we do, let's go to the Lord, praying for His blessing on His Word this morning. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we enter into Your presence now as we come to quiet our hearts, to have um, distractions and the cares of the world removed from our minds that we may better focus on Your Word. We pray that Christ would be heard. We pray that Christ would teach us. We pray that Christ would be loved and adored and that Christ would be glorified in our midst. Lord Jesus, we want nothing more than to know you more deeply, to love you because of your great love for us, to know more of the length and depth and width and height of your love that passes knowledge. We pray, our God, that you would do in our hearts for us what we ask in this regard, that we would know Christ Jesus and be partakers of him and of his glory. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1, the apostle writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. This ends the reading of God's word to us this morning. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, I've mentioned to some of you in time past that I've developed something that's maybe an unhealthy habit In my life, I have been in the habit of going on Facebook and looking at the information pages on old friends and acquaintances to see what they write about their religious views. It's actually an interesting exercise if you've not done that, if you have a Facebook page. It's interesting to go back and look at friends, especially non-believing friends, and see what they've written. Let me tell you just a few that have come up of some close friends and some people who were very close to me as a boy Um, While many have no religious view at all listed and and hide the little religious view tab, um, one of my friends, uh, I actually attribute my interest in philosophy to him from high school, wrote, perhaps it's best if we don't get into it. Another high school friend wrote, we all want to go to the same place, so let's not fight about it. Another said, I believe what my eyes can see. One of my close friends from high school wrote, I believe in God and dirty jokes. Still another, in a a very provocative way, wrote, I love you, Jesus, and Buddha, too. I love you, Jesus, and Buddha, too. And perhaps the saddest one I found belongs to the man who baptized me. He was my first pastor. He was a reformed minister and a theologian. Taught my dad in seminary. 
And this is what he writes on his religious view, that he is a Christian Buddhist Quaker. A Christian Buddhist Quaker. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because people have a plethora of religious ideas and views and beliefs. And there are so many voices and there are so many people telling you to believe this or believe that or believe what you want. And you may feel like you're safe. You may feel like within the walls of this church, in the walls of your house, you are safe. That you are safe from being deceived into thinking that there are other religions or philosophies that could accompany Christ. The girl whose Facebook page says, I love you, Jesus, and Buddha too, went to my PCA church when I was a boy. And as I read you the quote from the man that baptized me, he was a professor in a Reformed seminary who now is a Christian Buddhist Quaker. So if you think that you're beyond being deceived, if you think that you're beyond adding something to Jesus, Beware. The Apostle Paul in this passage is going to bring, uh, bring to us a great battle. There is a war going on in Colossians. This young fledgling church has been attacked with false teaching, just like the church in Galatia, just like the church in Corinth, just like really all the New Testament churches were attacked by false teaching. And Paul's solution is so easy, and we've seen this over the weeks and months, in order to battle any error at any point in any way in the church, he holds forth Jesus. And he says, if there's any error going on in your thinking, if there's any error in your practice, if there's any error in your belief, it is because there's an error in what you know and what you believe about Jesus Christ. And so that great section in chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, that great Christological section where Jesus is said to be before all things and in him all things consist and who holds all things together by the word of his power and who is the head of the church and who is the firstborn from the dead and everything that Paul said about the pre-existent Christ who is creator and redeemer, he says, because there's error in the church. And in chapter 2, he tells us about that error. He says that it is an error of being deceived. Notice verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible, plausible arguments. And then notice a little further down in verse 8, he says, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy an empty deceit according to human tradition and not according to Christ. Now, before we look at this this morning, I want to say you may think again that you are um, that you are safe from being deceived. Um, Sinclair Ferguson actually makes the point in his sermon on this text that only those who have received the truth about Jesus are in danger of actually being led astray from him. Only those who have received, just like these Colossians had received the truth about Jesus and have believed into Jesus, are in danger of being led astray from Jesus. And so we come to this with great caution and great care. We're going to see actually just two things today. First, we're going to see um, fullness of wisdom and knowledge in Christ and fullness of wisdom and knowledge from Christ. Fullness of wisdom and knowledge in Christ and fullness of wisdom and knowledge from Christ. Well, notice that Paul, in verses 1 and 2, really sets out his pastoral concern for this church. He doesn't come in uh, with a sledgehammer. He doesn't, come in, um, he doesn't come in to hurt the Colossians. He comes in as a surgeon with a scalpel to do heart surgery on them, to help them, to heal them, to bring restoration. And he comes in telling them, telling the people, I would remind you, that had never met the Apostle Paul telling them what a great struggle he had for them and those in Laodicea and everyone who had not seen him face to face. Now, I think this is marvelous because as a pastor, I know my own weaknesses in loving the flock that God has put before me. 
I pray for you. I pray for more love and more care for you. I know my own weaknesses. Paul here has never met these people. He doesn't know them. He has heard about them from Epaphras. And yet his heart is burdened for them. The word is actually agonizomai. He is in agony over their spiritual condition. The care of the pastor for his flock, even a flock he hasn't seen, the Apostle Paul is in agony over those. And notice in verse 2 what he is in agony over, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the fullness of sure, full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Paul's burden is that the people of God would know Jesus Christ. Not just that the unbelieving world would know Jesus Christ, but that the churches would be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ. And what Paul is going to do is he's going to bring out the idea of the mystery, that hidden mystery that he talked about in those previous verses, that from ages and generations, the the full realization of God's redemption in Jesus was hidden. Jonathan Edwards has a sermon. It's called... The wisdom of God revealed to the angels. And in that sermon, he talks about how Jesus is the wisdom of God and that what God the Father does and God the Son in the work of redemption for you and me is, is a manifestation of his infinite and eternal wisdom. And it is so great that the angels, the Apostle Peter says, stand on tiptoe in the words of J.B. Phillips. They stand on tiptoe to look into the wisdom of God in the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants you to know that and me to know that. He says in verse 2, he wants their hearts to be encouraged, being knit together in love. Now, what Paul's not saying is that he wants everybody to just get along. That's not what he's saying. You might have a temptation to read that. Why can't we all just get along? The why can't we all just get along cult is not biblical Christianity. But the heart being knit together in love doctrine is Christian. And what Paul is going to say is that When false teaching comes in, when false doctrine comes in, when people's minds and hearts are unsettled by false teaching, that there is even division among believers in the body. And so this call that their hearts be knit together in love is a call that their hearts be knit together in Christ. You see, there is no peace of conscience apart from Christ. I often wonder about my first pastor his pictures on his Facebook wall of him climbing mountains all over the world. And I often wonder, often wonder when he goes to bed at night, what his conscience, what his conscience is saying to him. He knows the truth. He's walked away from Jesus. He's been deceived by philosophy and empty deceit. He's fallen into the very thing that Paul has warned about. Virtually, he has apostatized. And I often wonder how He sleeps at night with his conscience because apart from Jesus Christ, there can be no peace, no unity, no comfort, no consolation. Notice what Paul wants. Paul wants believers to be encouraged in verse 2 in the, the knowledge of the mystery of Christ. And then he tells them that he wants them to have the full assurance of understanding. Paul wants believers to know everything that's in Jesus. And it's an inexhaustible mine of wisdom. I watched this show on Discovery Channel. It's about these guys, many of whom have nothing, who are called to go up to Alaska and mine for gold. And in one of these, in one of the episodes, they show one of the guys who really has no strings holding him to anything, no foundations, and he actually builds a little house in Alaska right by the gold mine that they are digging for gold at, because he is convinced that in this mine there is 
an enormous amount of wealth to be found. Paul is wanting you to come and he is setting before you Jesus Christ and he is saying in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Notice how he puts that. He says in him, in verse 2, in verse 3, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He doesn't say, well, spiritual treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Jesus, but all the other treasures of wisdom and knowledge are out there in cultures and in philosophies. He doesn't say there are really a lot of treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus, so he's better than Buddha, so you can love Jesus and Buddha too. No, he's saying in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Think about the man, Christ Jesus, in his days on the earth. Think about his interactions with the scribes and the Pharisees. Think about how they tried to trick him time and time again, and now he answered them perfectly with that heavenly divine wisdom. Think about the boy Jesus at 12 in the temple, confounding the scholars, asking them questions, and giving answers probably to his own questions, and amazing all of them, and then growing in wisdom and knowledge as a perfect man, as a perfect boy, at each step of the way, growing as a 12-year-old, as a 13-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as a 20-year-old, Jesus growing in wisdom and knowledge until at the cross he had attained all perfection of wisdom and knowledge, and heaven and all of God's wisdom met in the person of Jesus at Calvary in God's infinite wisdom in that perfect state of redemption and atonement at the cross. And Paul says, in him, in that person, in that Jesus, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You know, it's interesting that when Paul wrote this letter, uh, philosophy was at its zenith. You had had Heraclitus and Parmenides, they were the first philosophers, and then you had had the Greek philosophers. You had had Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and the, the philosophers who to this day we still study in our universities. Paul is writing this against that background. He is saying if there is any wisdom or any, um, any understanding or any knowledge of the world and of yourself and of reality, if there's any of that, it is found wholly and completely and infinitely in Jesus Christ. Now, Anna and I watch some television shows together and I've been fixated on a number of sci-fi shows recently and it it really hit me the other night that the producers and directors of these shows, they will imagine any mystery, any concept, time travel, time pockets, um, all kinds of mysterious ideas, metaphysical, quantum theory, all of it, but they will not look at the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and you will not hear about the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because they're hidden. Because they're hidden. Notice what Paul says. He says in verse 3, In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Men could look on Christ. They could see Jesus in the flesh. Many of them interacted with him. They talked to him. They conversed with him. They listened to him. They talked about him. They heard others talk about him. And they could not see the infinite wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Jesus because they were hidden. They were hidden for men, and yet they were in him, and they were in him to the full. Uh, Secondly, and and most significantly, Paul now tells us that they were hidden in Christ for us. Uh, Matthew Henry, the great Puritan commentator, actually says, uh, the wisdom and knowledge of God are not hidden in Christ from us, but for us. The wisdom and knowledge of God are not hidden in Christ from us, but for us. God hides them in his Son 
for you who believe. He hides them in his son so that you who believe may, like that guy in Alaska, pitch your house right by that mine and you may dig and dig and dig and spend your life mining out the riches of the knowledge and wisdom that's in Jesus. And brothers and sisters, we need nothing more than that. We don't need to pay our house bills, our car bills. We don't need any other concern of life more than knowing the wisdom and knowledge that are in Jesus. That is the one thing that you need. It's the one thing necessary. Jesus says to Mary as she sits at his feet that she has chosen the good part that will not be taken away from her. If you have come to Jesus, if you have believed in Jesus Christ, if you know something and have tasted something of this source of wisdom and knowledge true wisdom, true knowledge, if you've come to understand things, then keep going to Him. Keep mining out the riches of Jesus. Now, I know that Paul doesn't say in here, read your Bibles, but that's how we get the wisdom and the knowledge of Jesus. If you go home and you prayed for wisdom and you said, Lord, I lack wisdom, and you pray James 1, I lack wisdom, I need wisdom, and then you don't open your Bible, do not expect to get wisdom by osmosis. It probably isn't going to happen. But if you seek the Lord, if you seek the Scriptures, if you find Christ in the Scriptures, you will grow deep in wisdom and understanding. There's a proverb. um, It says, Evil men do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand all things. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all things. I remember as a new Christian showing that to a lady at a store. We had a conversation in Greenville, South Carolina, and she said, oh, you young Christians think you know everything. And now I look back and I said, no, I know the Christ who knows everything. I know the Christ who is everything. I know the Christ who knows everything. I know the Christ who has created everything and the Christ who redeemed us and the Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And notice what Paul says. Not only are we to know that source, but look what he says in verse 6. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Paul's addressing a church of those that had professed faith in Jesus. These were people who said, yes, I trust Jesus as my Savior. And Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Continue with him. And then notice what he says in verse 7. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Jesus, according to the writer of Hebrews, is the anchor of our souls. Think about that for a moment. We live out here in a waterfront peninsula. Many of you go out on boats. When you drop that anchor, you are, you are secure. You are immovable. Jesus is the anchor of our souls. Paul says we are rooted. We are rooted and we are built up in him. That's the image of a tree. We are rooted in Jesus. We are built up in him. And we are established in the faith. And notice what he says in verse 6. Just as you were taught abounding in it with thanksgiving. You see, Paul is not content to say, well, you've prayed the sinner's prayer, you're good to go. He's not content to say, well, you need to move on now to deeper things besides Jesus. you got Jesus. He's saying, as you've received Christ Jesus, be rooted in him, build up in him, establish in the faith as you have been taught. As the word of the gospel had come to you, and Paul says back in chapter 1, notice again the words, he says that the gospel had been bearing fruit since the day that you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. And that it was in the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of Christ crucified. Paul will battle philosophers 
in Corinth by saying that the message of the cross is the wisdom and the power of God. That if you want wisdom, if you want understanding, if you want to know what everything is about and why everything is the way it is and what the explanations are for why things are the way they are in your life and the lives of those around you, what God tells us is that there is wisdom and understanding in Christ crucified. Why is there affliction? Well, on one hand, we can say we don't know why God created a world of affliction. On the other hand, we can say he enters into it. He suffers worse than anyone could ever suffer. He suffers at the eternal wrath of his father in his body on the tree for our sins. He does that. He rises from the dead to give you life and righteousness and peace. He meets eternal death with eternal life. He disarms Satan. He nails your sins to the cross. He does everything at Calvary. The cross accomplishes every purpose of God. It explains evil. It provides salvation. It defeats the evil one. And God says you are to be rooted in the one who hung on the tree. And that we are to grow in him and go deeper in him. I know that I don't often give you a lot of applications to go and do and I I notice when I talk to a lot of Christians how zealous they are for a practical sermon I've had people even in this church in the past say to me well that was a good sermon you told me a lot of things from the Bible but you could have given me a little more something to take away take home take Jesus home take Jesus home take the scripture that is about Jesus home take the gospel that you have been taught home meditate on it take it turn it around look at its different uh, sides. Look at the multi-variegated sides of the cross. It's like a diamond. If you think you've exhausted it, chances are good that you are in some way being led astray by plausible arguments at some level. It may be Oprah. It may be Oprah. It may be some other spiritual guru. It may be some Christian author who is not telling you to go deeper in Jesus. Let me say that as frankly as I can. I think this comes home to us in the greatest way, not in Buddha, but in the authors on the Christian bookstores, at the Christian stores that you may go in or online on Christian bookstores that you would buy who do not point you to Jesus Christ but tell you, here's the way to have a good marriage, here's the way to succeed, here's to have friends, here's how to have financial stability, and they don't tell you about Jesus Christ and everything that's in him for you. And I know on Judgment Day, The only thing that's going to matter is if you stayed close to your Savior, you continued to mine wisdom and knowledge and riches from Him. It's not saying those other things are insignificant. It's saying all those other things are affected by the one in whom is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, I see this worked out even in our seminaries. I went to probably the most conservative Presbyterian seminary in the world, and there were several brothers that I had who were very scholastic, far more academic than I was. And I have systematically watched several of them stray from the gospel that I believe is taught in Scripture. Because they were caught up in scholarship, in new things, in novel things, even things that would be said to be about the Bible. Heresies. You know, Satan is not... Satan is not so stupid as to only pose as a J-dub or a Mormon. He's not that stupid. Satan's a lot more subtle than that. Satan will bring you to Jesus and then lead you from Jesus. He'd be happy if you came to Jesus and then walked away and got into a a couple other things and synchronized it. And Notice what Paul says at the end of this chapter. Um, The Colossian heresy is a very 
nuanced thing. It seems like there are two or three things being kind of synthesized together. And notice what Paul says in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the basic principles of the world, why, as they're still living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? Don't touch, don't taste, don't handle. All of which concern things that perish with the using according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, but they are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. You can say, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do this, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do this, and that does not change your heart, but Jesus does. And Paul's saying, that has an appearance of wisdom. This rigid, Christian, external, legalistically driven religion has an appearance of wisdom to it. Ceremonial rules and laws that have been done away with that serve the redemptive purpose those things can deceive people. There are multitudes of Christians that think their Christianity is built on the fact that they don't drink and don't smoke. That they're accepted by God, that they're better than other people. And Paul says, no, it's because we've been taught by Christ, we're rooted in Him, we're grounded in Him. It is Christ in the beginning, it is Christ in the middle of our life, it is Christ at the end of our life, it is Christ for eternity. And if we ever get tired of hearing about Christ, if we ever get tired of hearing about Christ, it probably means that we've been deceived. My good friend, who you all know now, some of you know, Mike Cuneo, said to me as a young Christian, Nick, if you want to know, if you want to know error, if you want to spot heresy, you don't study the counterfeit dollar bill. You study the real thing. It's actually a very profound, simple illustration. If you want to know error, if you want to know heresy, you don't study the counterfeit, you study the real dollar bill, and then you'll be able to spot it. The more you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the more you will see all of the futility and vanity and deception and counterfeiting of everything else that may be presented before you. And you know what? You may not be able to say, and let me close with this, you may not be able to say, well, that's wrong because of that, 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 and that. But you ought to be able to say, you know what? There's something wrong with this. I don't know what it is, but I am not being driven into the arms of Jesus Christ. I am not being pointed to him. He is not being glorified, and I want nothing to do with that. Whatever package it comes, it may come on the Wall Street Journal. It may come on Fox News. It may come on CNN. It may come anywhere and in any venue, in any movie, in any book in any conversation from a friend's Facebook wall, you ought to say, that's not pointing me to the Savior in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and they're hidden for me. I want nothing to do with that. And you know what? This is what the Apostle Paul agonized over. Paul didn't agonize over numbers. He didn't even agonize over how fast people were growing spiritually. He agonized over whether Christians were rooted and built up and established in Jesus Christ and had that wisdom and that knowledge in him. May God grant to us ears and eyes and hearts that see and hear and seek for that wisdom and knowledge in Jesus. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says this morning. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, how easily led astray we are, how easily we are moved away from the hope of the gospel and the hope of glory. Lord, we confess our frailty. We know that nothing good dwells in our flesh. We would distrust ourselves and our own 
our own abilities to discern, and we would cry out this morning, Father, that you would give us understanding, that you would give us wisdom, that you would give us knowledge, that we would find in our Savior an infinite mine of spiritual riches for all eternity. Father, we pray that you would give us grace to come to him this week ahead, to be sitting at his feet and listening to his words. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would draw us near to yourself, that you would draw near to us, that you would show us all that's in you and that's in you for us. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Give us joy in the knowledge of you this morning and in the fact that you have revealed to us that hidden mystery. We pray these things in your name. Amen.